You've probably heard that Restoration Fellowship is a community that's intentionally engaged. But what does that really mean? Our desire is to see communities engaged intentionally, to engage intentional communities, and for intentional communities to be engaged together. We believe that you cannot truly engage intentionally outside of community, and you cannot be intentional with your community truly unless you're engaged. And you cannot be truly in community unless you are engaged intentionally. If you're new to our community, our intention is to get you engaged. If your intention is to engage here, welcome to our community. If you've been engaging here for a while, thank you for being an intentional member of our community. All this to say, we've crafted a brand new mission statement to simplify it all for you. We here at Restoration Fellowship are a community intentionally doing life together, telling engaging and intentional stories within community, creating intentionally engaging community-centered environments, and pursuing intentionality within the confines of an engaged intentional community. We strive to build community intentionally through engagement. Intentionally. We'll see you on Sunday. All right. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. Good to see everybody this morning. My name is Justin. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. And uh, just good to see everybody out. Um, I am jumping into week two of uh, kind of a few weeks stretch where we're taking a look back at some of the basic things about Fieldstone Church. Not necessarily getting too much into the nitty gritty, but this is a kind of uh, the time of year where we like to kind of push pause on a few things and just make sure that we're all on the same page as far as where we're going, what God has for this church, what we're all about. Um, and today is no different. And um, when it comes to uh, things like that, you, you know, some of the cliches and uh, church mission statements and, and visions and things like that, um, that really the question that, be, that people are asking and trying to answer is, what's this all about? Like, what, what has God called us to be as people, as a church, as members of the greater body of Christ? And around Fieldstone, you hear some key phrases, things like get small, get away. You hear about family trees a lot because our mission is, is to see family trees transformed by the gospel. You hear the phrase life-giving a lot because we want this to be a place that just breathes life and energy into people as they come in and serve and be a part of our church. Um, and, and in the church really has an interesting dynamic that you have to navigate. And it's very similar to a family. Um, uh, just kind of that, that dynamic of, of, of being a family but also welcoming new people in. And, and the best way to describe it is just the difference between my family, the Powells, and Kathy's family, the Velsons. So the Powell family, we weren't really encouraged to have girlfriends and boyfriends growing on. It was definitely frowned upon. Not, not a big thing. Um, it, when, we had, when my brother and I, if we had girlfriends, it was always super awkward because my dad would kind of give us the side eye, and we'd spend as much time as we could making sure that he didn't know that there was a girlfriend in the picture. And so the Powell family is very tough to break into. Girlfriend shows up, boyfriend shows up, there's going to be a little bit of a cold shoulder, and it's kind of on purpose. My parents always said, hey, when they're family, we'll treat them like family. Until then, we're going to kind of stay a little bit reserved. And, and they had a reason for it. They always said, hey, if, if you've got a girlfriend, if, there, if there's a boyfriend in the picture, if there's a breakup, we don't want them to feel like they're breaking up with the whole family. Like, we don't want, to, want it to be this big ordeal. If you guys break up, fine, you broke up. It's not going to be like ripping a piece of the arm off of this family. Um, and so they had their reasons, but here's the thing. As soon as you were in the inner circle, you were in. So when, when, it, when it became very clear that Kathy and I were a forever thing, 
she was as much a daughter to them as my sister is. And so they, as soon as it got really deep and, and she got close to the inner circle, she was family. She was all in. She's in all the family pictures, all that stuff. So it was, it was really great once things got going. Now, her family is kind of the opposite. When I came around, um, one of the first things that I went to was a, her sister's wedding. She invited me to go. This is like a month into when we were still talking. And, and so I, like, I felt like part of the family right away. I was at the wedding. We'd see, I'd see them at sporting events. Um, they lived close to our school. And so on weekends, sometimes we'd spend the weekend there and I was welcomed in and, and things were great. But then as I got closer to the inner circle, somehow it seemed to get tougher. All of a sudden, the questions started coming out like, is youth pastor a real job? Like, do you get paid for that? Like, is there health insurance when you're a youth pastor? And, and then she'd get questions like, are you sure you don't need to date a little bit more? And, you know, make sure, because, you know, your sister thought she had the one, and then they broke up, and she dated a little bit. And, and then you get the question like, are you sure he's the one? Are you sure this is it? Now, all those questions are great. Now, my preference would be that they don't come the week before the wedding, but you can understand some of their concern. And now, everything's great now. We have a great relationship, great family, but it was like, man, I'm used to this family that's a little bit tough on the front end, and then as you get in, it starts to open up. And I'm walking into this other family, that they're just, they just open it right up at the beginning, and then they start to get tough as you get closer to the inner circle. Now, some of you guys have been through that already. You've been the parents trying to welcome in a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Like, how far do we take this? How welcoming do we be? Are they in the family picture? Do we wait for a ring? And some of you, a lot of you, have been the one entering a new family, right? Like, what is it going to take for me to be welcomed into this thing? This is crazy. So here's the thing. Some of you have had good experiences. Some of you have had experiences a little bit more like this family in the video. Oh, hey, Jack. How you doing? Like the uh, top hat. Compliments you. Can I talk to you for a minute? Did I not clearly explain the circle of trust to you, Greg? Mm. Yeah, I think I got it. Then is there something you want to tell me? Mm, I, I don't think so. Didn't we have a discussion yesterday in the car about this? Oh, yes. You mean, yes. You mean me and Pam. Yes, I would love to talk to you about that. We're not that. talking about Pam, Greg. We're talking about you. See, if I can't trust you, Greg, then I have no choice but to put you right back outside the circle. And once you're out, you're out. There's no coming back. Hmm. Well, I would definitely like to stay inside the circle. Well, then tell me the truth. Okay. Jack, I don't know what we're talking about. All right, now look, Fogger. I'm a patient man. That's what 19 months in a Vietnamese prison camp will do to you. But I will be watching you, studying your every move. And if I find that you are trying to corrupt my firstborn child, I will bring you down, baby. I will bring you down to Chinatown. <laughs> All right, so two notes real quick. Number one, if you have not seen that movie, the young man's last name is Fokker, okay? So we didn't miss an editing opportunity there. We're not getting edgy here at Fieldstone Church. Number two, I hate that movie because it feels like I lived it, right? Like I had a tough, tough father-in-law, not, not the meanest guy. He wasn't a CIA agent like, like uh, Robert De Niro is in that, but it was like, man, what do I got to do to be, like, make you happy? Like, well, let's go. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. 
You should be excited about this. So that, that's just my two notes. But some, I mean, you guys have been there. You've had that tension of like, what do we do with this? Okay, so, so here's this new person. We've, we're good on the inside. We're, we know what our family's all about, but who's this person trying to break in? How do we welcome them at the same time? How, how do we welcome them but still protect our family identity? And the same tension exists in the life of a church, really, in, in, for the universal church. What is it supposed to be? What is the church? What was it, how is it designed to function? Certainly, we're the body of Christ, right? We have different roles to play, and we're an expression of him, and we're an expression of the kingdom here and now. But how does that play out in a practical way? What's our proper focus? What's our proper mindset as part of a church, as, as leaders within a church? What is that supposed to look like? And a few weeks ago, we had a service outside at the pavilion, and we kind of teased this idea of the church as a family. And in some ways, that can be very cliche. A lot of churches most churches, I would say, would describe themselves as a family. They have signs out front that say, welcome home, and things like that. And that's great, but like, just like the first video we saw where, hey, we're intentional about community because community needs to be intentional, and we're intentionally creating relationships in community. And, and it just, you just have all these words that get thrown around, and family is one of them. Um, and I've seen churches even use that to kind of manipulate people for selfish gain, so it's kind of a sad, but, but when healthy, when, when a church is functioning in a biblical way, what are the dynamics within a church supposed to look like? Well, to answer that question, I want to go back to Acts chapter 2, right to when the, when the church began, back in the first century. Um, and as we pick up in this section of Acts, Jesus is gone. He's gone back to heaven. He left the Great Commission behind, just like we talked about through July. Um, and, he's, and the Holy Spirit has come on the disciples. They've come out of the room where they were hiding. They're all preaching in different languages. Peter gets up and speaks to the crowd, and 3,000 people accept Christ on that first day. Now, this is a little bit different for them, because in our context, this is, you know, typical Sunday morning through the summer, you know, uh, you know, 200, 225 people on a Sunday morning between the two services. But if you told me that next week, 3,000 people were going to show up, I'd be a little nervous, be a little bit intimidating. But here in 2019, I can go find a book about churches with 3,000 people. I can call people and say, hey, what do I do with 3,000 people? What does parking need to look like? What does greeting need to look like? How much coffee do we need? There are things that you can do to prepare for 3,000 people here in our context. But they had no clue, right? This is the first day. There is no building. There is no plan. There is no uh, staff structure. There's, they didn't know if they were supposed to do offering before the second song or after the second song. They, there was no idea what to do with 3,000 people. So 3,000 people happens. So what do you do? Well, we can see what they did here in Acts chapter 2. And we'll go to verse 42. And this is right after those 3,000 were added to their number. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So the church was, there's no denying it. As you look at the way they interacted, the things they decided to do, they came together and the church was a family. Because if you look at these things, this is what a healthy family looks like, right? That's what they became. They were a like-minded community. Everything that you would want it to be 
that's what they were. And that's pretty amazing if you think about it, because this is right at the start. And so what we see is the church, as we look at this, this is before human opinions got added to things. This is before human ideas. This is before our sin entered the equation of what the church was supposed to be and look like, and people got power hungry and selfish, and, and all these different things happened. This is what the church looked like. And so the church, when it's healthy, when it's living according to its original design, the church is a self-contained, self-sufficient organism where each one would give anything and everything for the whole. And in many ways, it had to be that. Because if you think about the first century, this wasn't just, oh, I got saved. And, and they're not living in a country like ours that, for the most part, has been very open to Christianity, open to biblical things. You can say what you want about our culture now or where it's going. But in large part, this country has been very friendly to Christianity. But these are people where when they step into a walk with Jesus... Many of them are losing jobs. Many of them are being kicked out of their religious communities. Many of them are getting kicked out of family. And so when you think about the first century church, they had to be like a family because people were losing theirs for the sake of the gospel. And so as you look at how these verses describe this early church, it seems like you'd never leave, right? It seems like that's all you'd need. And in many ways it was, because when you look at this passage, within that body of Christ, within this healthy local church, you had solid teaching, you had community, you had friendship, you had encouragement, you had support, you had accountability, you had, you had God moving in mighty ways and the signs and wonders that they were seeing. You had like-minded beliefs, a lot of unity. Now, certainly a lot of room for discussion. They had some things to figure out because they didn't have all the New Testament letters, but they were united on the big things. There was provision, there was sharing, there was generosity, they were looking out for each other, they had meals and parties, they were celebrating constantly. But there was more to it than just that, just that family feel. Because if you look at those four verses, it feels like a closed community, like a circle you can't break into. Like they've, they've got it figured out, they got their 3,000, this is our family, this is who we are. And yet you look at the next verse as, as verse 47 finishes up, it says that as they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in the previous verses, it's everything you need. It's everyone you need at any time you need, anywhere you need it. There's daily love and support and encouragement. It feels like a closed circuit situation. No need for anyone to go in or out. Yet at the same time, more were being added daily. So how does that happen? Well, for that answer, I want to go to Romans chapter uh, 10, because we find out how it happens. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So basically, it, within this closed circle, within this tight-knit family, how do other people make their way in? Verse 15 says, How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what we find out is that even within this family, even within the circle, people are hearing because people are going out and talking. People are seeing because the church is showing them. People are understanding because people are teaching them. People are coming because people are inviting them. And people are welcomed in because it was not a closed circuit situation. They're being added daily because the church, at, on one hand, was ridiculously tight-knit family that was always aware of the needs within the community. It was a family whose identity was safe and secure in Christ. And at the same time, it was a family in constant and consistent process of adoption. 
Many of you have been through that adoption process. I know my family did once when I was, uh, you can see a picture up there, not the greatest picture, it was a long time ago, uh, but I was in kindergarten, about five years old, my brother was seven, and we adopted my little sister Tiffany when she was nine months old, and I remember sitting around the airport, this is this is exciting thing, and it's crazy, I was looking at that picture this week, just total side note, realizing that I'm four years older than my parents are in that picture, and that my grandparents were seven years younger than my par- than, uh uh, than my parents are now. So it's just kind of wild. Life flies by. But, um, but we, were, we were a good, nice little family unit, right? We had my older brother and I, and we were good, and life was good, but my parents felt called to adopt, and so we adopted my sister. And many of you have been through that before, that idea of like, okay, we're a family, we're set, our identity is secure, but we're open for business, right? And some of you did one, and then you did two, and then you did three, and that's why we got families driving in with 15 passenger vans, because they just didn't know when to quit. They just kept taking kids, which is great, but it's this interesting process, right? We've got some friends who uh, flip houses, and they're in kind of an interesting uh, pattern that they, they try to maintain, where they're always in process with three different houses. They're always in the midst of working on one, They're always in the midst of selling one, and they're always looking for the next one. Always those three three steps in the process. And and they're living that same tension that we're talking about. Hey, hey, we're selling, we're working, and we're looking for the next one. And the healthy church is the same way. A healthy local church is, is navigating the same as a family who's looking to adopt, the same as this family that's flipping houses. A healthy local church is tight, and it's set, and it's secure, and it's unified on the big things, but it's always looking for the next one. And the rest of Acts is a testament to that journey, that tension that they navigate, where they're committed to embracing that, where there's consistent inward protection, but constantly looking outward. And as chapter 2 finishes up and it goes into Acts chapter 3, all of a sudden you see Peter and John and others and they're out there preaching and healing and causing trouble for the gospel and it continues from there where they're out reaching and then they're back to celebrate. They're out struggling and they're back together praying together. And it's this constant give and take and this constant battle and, and, and living that tension of being secure in who we are, making things small, making it feel like family, but always ready to grab somebody else who needs to come on the inside. So here at Fieldstone, how do, how do we live that? How do we experience that in our context? I, I think one thing we need to do is continue to be open and honest about our needs and our hurts and our struggles. And there's two sides of that. On one side, there's a lot of stories around this little church. If you're newer to Fieldstone, I want you to know you're going to come across people who have been there and done that, people who grew up in church, never really strayed too far, but they've had to battle to fight off casual Christianity. On the other side, we've got people who were given a rough start in life and Jesus had to pull them out of a pit and they've got an amazing story of redemption. We've got people who have succeeded and we've got people who have failed in various areas of life. We have people who have seen God work miracles in all kinds of situations in life. We have people who have seen their family tree transformed by the gospel. And so by being honest about where you're at, being honest about what God is bringing you through at any given moment, it allows yourself to be shown grace by those around you who have already walked that path. On the other side, you've got stories. And what you've been through can have the same impact as what others have had on you. But it has to start with us being willing to be honest about where we've been, where we are, where God is taking us, what he's taught us through all those processes. That's making disciples. It's being willing to invest what you have inside you into someone else. 
So I think we need to be honest about where we're at and what God's doing in our life. Second thing, I think, I think we need to embrace this struggle for balance. Because it is a struggle. Help us fight to make this place feel small, to make it feel like family, to make it feel life-giving in all the context. But at the same time, help us fight for those who are far from Jesus, who have yet to experience the power of the body of Christ. You've probably noticed in in middle of June, we had a guest speaker and she came and talked about praying for people that need Jesus. And, And then Joe and I did a series on the Great Commission through July, reminding us of what Jesus left behind for us to do. And now we're hitting it again. And I think a lot of that is because we're almost two years into this Fieldstone thing and it's so easy to get comfortable. Like we have enough people, we could be a church and we could pay the bills forever and ever, right? We got enough, we're doing fine, the pastor's paying his bills, our family's good, no issues, there's no tension. We could stop and be just fine. But guess what? When Fieldstone started two years ago, there were thousands and thousands of people in southeast Michigan who needed Jesus. And here we are two years in, and thousands and thousands of people in southeast Michigan need Jesus. And so we want to fight to make this feel like family. We want to support each other and encourage each other and help provide for needs and and make sure that if somebody's struggling, we lift them up. And if somebody needs help, we get them the help that they need. But at the same time, there are people outside of our circle who have no clue what it looks like to experience the body of Christ. And it's, it's like a, um, a lot of you guys have little kids now. You've had little kids in the past. You're driving down the road, and your priority is safe travel, right? That's the priority. But then the kid back there starts puking. Or the kid back there starts pinching the other kid or says something they shouldn't have said. And there's pop spilling on the floor, your brand new car, and you're getting ticked off. And all of a sudden, there's this priority. Now there's this priority. And dads, you're looking for that knee, right? Like, you're trying to take care of things. You squeeze that knee in the right spot, and the problem is solved. You're trying to figure things out, like, why is there vomit coming out your ears? I don't know what's going on. There's this dynamic. All of a sudden, this isn't the only priority. There's this priority, and you're navigating that tension of how do I emphasize the right priority at the right time without sacrificing the other priority? That's the journey that we're on. That's the tension that we're trying to navigate as a church, and we have to help each other do that. The struggle is necessary. The struggle is worth it. And your willingness to embrace that tension between inside and outside is vital to any impact that God is going to have through this church in the future. So we have to embrace that struggle for balance. And then finally, and this is just... For those of you, I I don't know every face out in the crowd. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. But when it comes to the church, the church being a family, the church reaching out, all of these different things, don't miss the true cornerstone of this deal. As that verse ends in Acts chapter 2, it says, the numbers were added daily, those who are accepting Christ those who were hearing the message and believing. So it wasn't just an expansion of their little club. It wasn't a growing community. It wasn't some nonprofit that was expanding and growing, do more things. It was all based on the cornerstone of Jesus and belief in him. That's where it started. That's where it has to end. Without the gospel, there is no transformation. It has to be about Jesus. As a church, certainly. In your life, absolutely. That's where it has to begin. That's what it has to be about. And so if you walked in and you've never made that decision, I'd love to talk with you. Come find me after the service. Shoot us an email. Find Joe. Find somebody with a lanyard. They might look at you like, oh, I wasn't ready for that question. Let's go find Justin. That's totally fine. 
We want you to initiate that conversation, and we want to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus, not because your grandma did, not because your parents did, because God has called you to. That's where it has to begin, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the band's going to come, and um, you know, anytime you talk about family or church family, um, honestly, I think of communion, because when you, communion in modern day church, you know, you do it, you get together, and you pass around the little cups, and the team's going to come and do that in a second, but... um, Communion in the first century was a family event. Many times, if not every time, it was a part of a a larger meal that they would share, and then they would take a moment to remember Jesus and the sacrifice he had made and all that he had done to give them that moment together as a family. And so we're going to close the service uh, by taking the Lord's Supper together so the team's going to come forward and pass out the elements. I just want you to know that this is a moment for anyone who is following Jesus you don't have to be a Fieldstone person, member, attender, whatever. This is an opportunity for all of us as Christ followers to take a second and number one, just kind of reflect on what Jesus did for us. Because he went through a lot for us to experience life in him and for us to have a family called the church. And so we reflect and we remember on that. But we also take a second to look at our lives and say, am I aligning myself with that still? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I trust in him. That's, that's secure. That's promised to me at this point because I've placed my faith in him. But is my life a living expression of that belief that I have? And so they're going to pass the elements. Just take this moment. The band's going to sing the song. And this is an opportunity for you to, to either spend some time in prayer on your own, as a family, however you want to do that. And then I'll be up in a second and we can take the elements together. <laughs>